Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am Dave. And you don't see him in the chair beside me. He is back over the over FaceTime anyway with me tonight. He's up in beautiful Buffalo, and I can say that I say that with all confidence this time. It is beautiful. Uh, it was a pretty nice day. It was a little cold, but you know, yeah. I was inside yesterday, so you know, I didn't uh, get to freeze or anything like that. It's 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 nicer today than I'm sure it is in a lot of other places. It's not too hot and it's not too cold. It oh, yeah. is cooler though. Some well, it's not. It's not the perfect date. I mean, uh, I think if you watch Miss Congeniality, I think it's a uh, Cassie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's May 24th. It's not too hot, not too cold, and all you need is a light jacket, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I wore a jacket, but uh, it it was. Uh, I was a little cold in it when I walked over and and yeah. uh, drove over to the office today. So yeah, Heck, I'm, I'm gonna... letting me. Um, participate in the podcast via remote this was a show we weren't even going to do yeah yeah uh, yeah we had some uh we had made some plans but then uh i get the call from dave hey uh we can do something tonight here's some articles here's what we can do and uh we're actually not doing everything that uh we thought we would do but we're going to put it off um uh, hopefully uh we'll we'll get tim carter um either in the studio or at least uh to free up some time over a hangout call or something like that, but we'll get him by the end of the year. Um, not sure how that's going to line out with everything that we have posting on the podcast or whatever, but um, either very beginning of the year or at the very end of the year with him um, kind of wrap up some uh, things there that we've been working on. We just uh, wanted to make sure that we're throwing out content and not inundating you with the same, same, same all the time. Right. And we do have that. So, I mean, uh, what's upcoming is, um, Oh, uh, we're, we're going to have another, uh, time with, uh, daddy Beber. Daddy Van Beber right. is going to join us. He hasn't been on in yeah. a year. I don't think yeah. he's been on this entire year. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, from my knowledge. So we've been doing this for like three years. It'll be coming up on four years. We've had him on at least once a year, um, and, and, and some way. And so, uh, Dave, you're going to go back to be with home for, be with him, be with family for the holidays. And, uh, so we decided to, Hey, we could have him on. And one thing, uh, this year with COVID and all that kind of stuff, um, Psalm 91 has flown around flagrantly throughout this whole year. Uh, especially here in, in, uh, Pentecostal land Springfield. <laughs> um, you know, and I've, I've heard it so much, but Psalm 91 is just being named and claimed. And we want to, uh, talk about what Psalms are, who wrote the Psalms. Um, and, you know, just really how we can relate. Cause there are things in the Psalms that we can relate eternally. What are tr- eternal truths from Psalms, but then there's also contextual issues. There's meaning and stuff that we have to draw out. And so we think, I thought that would be a great opportunity for apologetics and uh, scripture reading and how we can um, speak to people who name and claim these things and then who end up getting sick and hopefully they do not lose their faith over it. Right. Yeah. We're trying to keep the flock. Um, this is the, uh, the work of the evangelist. Right. <laughs> and so, well, and I think it's a yeah. great thing for us to go back and just unpack some scripture mm-hmm. and do so in a way that is consistent, that demonstrates our apologetic yes. and is useful for people. Because sometimes we get so, we gravitate towards the issues and the controversies of the day. But here is timeless truth that does speak to the issues of the day 
And we're using that for the foundation upon which to to build our apologetic and our yeah. defense and show people how every text of Scripture is, in fact, an apologetic. And I think that that's a key piece. Yeah. When Scripture is rightly used and rightly applied, it does set the course for how we interpret the world, how we understand things in the world, because we have the timeless God who speaks timelessly, yeah. but we can't just eisegete a, a text and try to apply it to our lives in a way that contradicts what Scripture says about itself. Yeah. And so we want to do that rightly, and we want to handle it rightly. And sometimes it's easy for us to just grab towards the issues of the day and not actually start with Scripture, even though we are starting with Scripture in the way we understand the issues of the day, but actually going directly to a text. And we haven't done that for a while, yeah, so we're yeah. basically— uh, doing a little bit of an apologetic preaching. Yeah. And so it'll be fun to do that. Uh, we haven't done that in quite some time, so it should be really cool. Yeah. That'll be on the 21st. The live stream will be on the 21st of December. Yeah. It might end up being like the last program of the day. And mm. by the way, if you're seeing the live stream, I want to put this out there. Adam did an excellent job of posting the critical race theory, the first part of the critical race yeah, theory presentation today. that I did. And so if you listen to the content today, live stream, Go back and look at the YouTube video mm -hmm. or listen to the podcast itself. I give the foundations for critical theory. Then I go from mm -hmm. critical theory to critical race theory. And so it's really important, uh, critical race theory and intersectionality. And so it's mm -hmm. good that you get a, uh, a basis for where does critical race theory come from? You can't separate critical race theory from critical theory yeah. itself. And yeah. so a lot of times when people are talking about critical race theory, and it happened at the convention this uh, in 2019, the critique that was being offered against critical race theory was actually a critique of critical theory and the foundation for critical race theory and intersectionality, which – uh, before we jump into that, Adam, you do yeah. have an announcement that you want to put out that is yeah. timely, that is important. And I don't know, is there a link actually where people can register for that event? And tell us a little bit more about that. Well, all right. So I know uh, last time uh, we got together, I announced uh, that it was happening. Uh, now I got a hold of Josh Jenkins and he has finally put up a uh, Facebook uh, event page. So if you go to Facebook, and you search, um, if you haven't gotten a notification yet, um, but uh, search for God and Government Conference or God and Government, a conference on Romans 13. So now that uh, information is up and available, you can mark interested, going, all that kind of stuff. There might be some discussion in there um, that can be had, um, but it is, again, uh, part of uh, something that uh, Hope Baptist Church is doing, Josh Jenkins, who's been on the show um, just recently. Um, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're hosting it there. Uh, it's a uh, 1001 North Rogers Avenue here in Springfield, Missouri on January 16th, 2021 from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And so what's going on there is there's going to be some speakers. Uh, so at 9 a.m. Uh, there will be for Christendom, Christocracy and the separation of church and state. Um, there will be jurisdiction of civil government in Romans 13 at 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock will be applying the sword of Romans 13 to the issue of abortion. Um, at one o'clock we'll have honoring Christ in the legislature. And uh, we'll have a, after that at two o'clock, we'll have a panel Q and a, which Dave and I will be moderating um, in that event. So that's awesome that we get to play a little bit bigger of a role than just going. I'm happy to be a part of something like this. I'm glad it's happening here in Springfield, but the speakers there uh, will be uh, legislator Mike Moon. Again, he was the guy that wrote HB 2285 that we talked about earlier this year. 
Um, and then uh, Josh Eaton from Crosspoint Baptist in, in uh, Caney, Kansas. Um, then Joshua Jenkins and Brandon Dodd, both from Hope Baptist Church, will be speaking. And so this is going to be a good time. So mark your calendars, go search Facebook for that. Um, I've already got a pay, uh, I already have that up on our uh, Tag Your It page. My personal timeline's got it and everything too. And we'll just uh, keep this rolling. Um, I might even make a slide for our live shows um, yeah, to, awesome. to, to put you, that Adam. out there too. But uh, yeah, so we're going to try to do as best as we can with whoever we got. You know, we're not that great of a podcast, <laughs> you know, like we're nothing that, that huge, but you know, any role that um, we can do, anything that we can play. I think we're pretty great of a podcast. Oh, I sure. A yeah. and I think it's a useful tool. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 uh we've heard stories and it's been great. Uh, the people that we have been able to connect to uh, through this ministry um, so far in three years, and you know we're just gonna keep doing it no matter what. But it's it's been a pleasure and everything. But uh, I'm glad that uh, we get to be a part of something like this uh, conference, and only hope that uh, there will be future things as we continue to um, hope you know really calling our city government, our state government, ultimately. Um, you know, our national government and really all world governments are under Christ and, uh, everybody across the world, every Christian across the world should be calling because this is just a part of the discipleship. You know, we discipleship doesn't just stop. If you have some sort of state title in your name, you are still a human being made in the image of God, a sinner in need of salvation. And Jesus is it. And out of that, uh, then everything that Christ is becomes a part of every area of your life, even if you're in a state legislator, or if you are a king, if you are uh, a queen, what you know, whatever whatever political system you're in, you're under Christ, and you need to That's honor right. Christ, and you're called. Um, Romans thirteen is um, is descri- or is it? It's not descriptive of the time of Nero, but it is prescriptive of the government, and so. Um, Come and just uh, and enjoy the edit. It's a free conference, board. right? As far as I know, there is no price tag on it. So, man, outstanding. Yeah. That will be an outstanding thing for people to go. And one of the little key things is Adam and I are going to try to get some time with each yes. of the individual speakers to interview them and do some live streams. And even we'll post some of those discussions to the podcast um, so that you all can listen to them if you're unable to make it, if you're outside of the ability to get to Springfield, Missouri and you listen to us, this will be accessible. And I know that any of those speakers probably would be willing to uh, maybe do some type of a Zoom chat with your church and maybe yeah. discuss more of those things in general. I mean, I can't directly speak for each of them, but I would assume that that's kind of where they are. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we haven't done a meme in a while. So that's right. I'm going to have to say, you know, to, to kick off after all this, uh, hubbub <laughs> introducing what we're doing since we haven't um done a show in a week or something like that I don't hey know. adam it feels like i never longer, feel bad but... when we talk a little bit before <laughs> oh no because, no uh even if we talked for like 15 minutes we'd still beat james white because he'll talk for like 20 minutes in his intro so yeah <laughs> but, but, <laughs> about yeah, his I mean, grandkids yeah. and, and the sweater that he's wearing so <laughs> yeah we keep it on topic though that's right (laughs) no no no. i like hearing about his his biking and and his kids and all that kind of stuff what they're doing and it's a good uh intro into my life anyway what am i doing with my kids how am i how am i Mm. viewing my family life too so i should be able to talk about it more you know so you know there's there's some conviction in what you might find uh mundane or not on topic or whatever so i'm glad james white does what he does but we do what we do as well it's our podcast so, but anyway, thanks for hanging with us on that, but we haven't done a meme in a while. So, um, I, 
had something that's been sitting for a while, and so now we're going to enter the meme studio. All right, here we go. The deal of the day, stuff that's been talked about. We've talked about it. People are uh, just uh, posting stuff about systematic racism, and I don't think we've definitely hit directly that topic of systematic racism, um, but people are, and people are posting stuff, and Robert Reich, you know, he's he's got a following, he's a well-known kind of dude, people follow him, um, he wanted to make an argument since, you know, the election season is, or was, anyway, so this is from that time, this has been sitting in the back burner for a while, um, but I've, I've, it's an important thing um, that we um, have needed to get to, but uh, Robert Reich says, here we go. Wyoming is 92% white. California is 37% white. A Wyoming voter has nearly four times more influence than a California voter. The Electoral College is racist, and it must be abolished. So, the Electoral College is an institution that is inherently racist, is what he is saying. And here is the proof. So I have a few issues with the way the argument is laid out. I know that it's where we call it meme theology and technically it is a tweet that we're dealing yeah. with, but yeah, just he, he shared a picture from, of it. So a picture with words, meme, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially there are, there are rules that arguments need to make. Um, you have a premise and a conclusion. And so reasonably and logically you lay a premise and then based upon your premise, you then state your conclusion. So the premise should lead to the conclusion. Um, essentially, the premise is that because there are 92% of the people in Wyoming are white and only 37% of the people in California are white, that means that there's a higher percentage of minorities. I mean, the, the conclusion, the, the, the direct implication is that there's a higher percentage of minorities in California. And because there are three electoral votes in the state of Wyoming, and of course in California there are 55, essentially, did we get that right, 18 times more? Uh, is that right? Yeah, I yeah. Thought? So here's, here's the math, just to, just to uh, put that out there, because that's sort of important. Um, yeah. But uh, from the street.com, um, they say Wyoming um, has a population of 563, 626 people. And that determines their three electoral college votes. And it has the fewest people of any state. California has 66 times as many people, but only 18 times as many electoral college votes. Now, I mean, I, to, to put, put that there, you know, you got the numbers of people. Is that census data? Because also, you know, we got to understand and that that's kind of like the, the bad part about where I'm getting this information is there's no uh, notes on where they get these numbers and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, is it current, say nine, you know, 2019 population based on still a 2010 census, which would be the basis of where we redistribute seats for States um, and representation and all that kind of stuff. And where the electoral college would get their, um, you know, numbers of electors from would be the census data. And so, you know, I don't know if they've, you know, at the time of 2010, did uh, California have equal representation? And then it grew, you know, just, I, I don't know that. 
but just to throw that out there, there's a lot of variables here. Um, but as far as this says, you know, California has 66 times as many people in it than Wyoming, but it only has 18 times as many electoral votes. So that's how that works. So essentially, the argument, Adam, is that a voter in California does not have the ability to influence the election. And because there's a higher chance that they're a minority, therefore the system is racist. Am I correct? That's what it looks like to me. So then you would need to prove that the, at least for me, you would have to prove that the electoral college is built on some type of systemic racist system. In other words, race was a direct decision of those who decided to use the electoral college as a means for voting for the electors, because that's essentially what you're doing each time is you're voting for the electors. Yeah. And that's, and does Wyoming have laws prohibiting people of color um, from entering its state? Well, apparently it doesn't because 8% are not white. You know, so, so so there has to be laws on the books now. So so basically, I mean, if you just look at it, this is called circular reasoning. Yes, you you you, you think you see something. Here's some facts, and here you know basically the the uh, conclusion is in the premise. It's just that the premise is you know it's not written down as a syllogism, but if you look yeah. at it. Argument you, you isn't that the electoral, co- the electoral college is problematic, so it must be abolished. It is yeah. that it's inherently racist, yeah. it, so it, it must be abolished. Yeah. But there's no proof that the electoral college is a racist system, even by his implications there. Yeah. If you want to put that out, then what you would need to do then would be to demonstrate that every state where there is a minority has disadvantaged every single minority from that, because even then go, go for it. Yeah. Oh no, I just, I'm, I'm agreeing with you right now. So a (laughs) minority actually has a higher, uh, has a higher influence. Minorities have a higher influence in the elect, in the electoral college system in California. Now, what other states, just to, you would need to throw up what other states have a higher percentage of minorities and demonstrate not just two comparisons, but multiple comparisons to make this conclusion. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so, I mean, I guess, I guess at the very, at the very least is called a non sequitur doesn't follow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the scary part is um, the circular reasoning of it because of critical race theory. This is, yeah. this is evidence. This is not evidence of systematic racism. This is evidence of a worldview. The problem is, is critical race theory. The what problem is, is that minorities will never have an equal chance in any uh, election system because they are indeed minorities. Yeah. So unless you're going to give a minority double votes, then you're not going to be able to overcome that system so essentially any type of democratic system where there is a minority of any kind you have some type of uh minority discrimination yeah 
Therefore, you cannot make by the mere definition of a minority. And what he's talking about here is racial minorities. How about this? Where are their LGBTQ plus differences? Yeah. Right. Because and, and likewise, why is that not a problem? Yeah. And I mean, because of this. So now we're getting into the intersectionality section. You know, who is the most victimized? You know, like, you know, how about the voter that is a I guess I'm trying to think, I guess. Out of Asians and blacks, I guess maybe a black lesbian, you know, just just thinking about all the, the what is what is the most intersections you can have, and should a we black give lesbian, yeah. Muslim, transgender, handicapped yeah. individual? And I'm not yeah. saying that to be demeaning by any and but, young has to be but, like an ageist issue, so either very old but or they very can't be young. too old either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if they're too old, then that's another intersection. Yeah. Or too young. But if they're or if they're too young. Exactly. Yeah. So you have a basically a changing uh a movement of the goals every time. So the reality is you cannot play this type of uh special pleading for every single minority group. Yeah. Therefore, if you switch it to just a full democratic system, there's still minorities who don't have as big a say. Yeah, because like, any so, type of electoral system. Yeah. So here's the big deal. Okay, America. Whenever, whenever it's elector election season, we are, we're a democracy. We're de no, we're not. We have never been a democracy. We are a constitutional democratic republic. Yes, you vote your representation from your state, and then that's where you get the electoral college. Because based on your representation in the state, you get the electors. Because the president is the president of the state. So there's the argument that's going around that land doesn't vote for people. People vote for people. And it's like, no, you are in a state with its own laws. And guess what? This is what protects you from the federal government is your state government. So the state could actually say, no, we're not going to follow you, federal government. So there's actually really good protection there um, when we have a constitutional democratic republic. Now, whenever we get rid of the electoral college, if it gets abolished now you've made a rural and city divide so you actually haven't made anything equal you've set up another sort of discrimination somebody gets oppressed and another structure so what have you done whenever you get rid of the electoral college so this doesn't actually create any problems it only destroys something um and yeah it doesn't actually offer any sort of solution but the solution is actually words have meaning there was a time and a place when those words had meaning. They still mean those things, right? <laughs> and that makes them well, not as subjective and The problem relative. is yeah. who determines what is racist and what is not. Yeah. Even to try to make the statement, I'm not racist, that has now been skewed to no, no, you, you are racist if you are a certain race by the very fact that you are that race. Well, that's not an accurate term. If racism is everything, then it is nothing. Yeah. And that becomes problematic. So just to label something as racist is now devalued the the real uh, implications of what actual racist hatred looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the situation that we currently reside in, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you know, again, this is the one in many problem. You can talk all day about big things and you're talking about nothing, or you can talk about the small dumb particular and you're still talking about nothing 
Um, this is where, you know, again, Van Til comes into play with the Trinity, um, the ontological Trinity being the starting point of all things to make sense of the one and the many because God is one but three persons and they all are co-equal, <laughs> you know. So um, that's that's just kind of the thing. And that's, you know, we we just reduced it to the fact of either you got a universal with no with and the particulars have no meaning or you have all these uh, incoherent particulars that don't correlate with one another. And so, yeah. yeah. And so this is why it's such a big deal um, to have a constitutional, um, you know, democratic Republic hug a Christian for it, <laughs> you know, hug, hug God for it because it's the, you know, it's the um, way that he set up Israel, the church, um, you know, the, the, the King is not the priest. The priest is not the King. Um, and there's, there's, awesome government that's supposed to be there for our good because people are sinful. Um, there's decentralization, all that kind of stuff. Thank you, God, for making Israel and having the old Testament that we can look back and be instructed by it, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of it. But, you know, whenever we go around destroying things, um, it, it makes you irrational. And that's what this meme is. It's a very irrational argument that proves Really, if you want to prove anything, it proves well, that critical theory is a worldview and it's not compatible with Christianity. That's right, because you filter everything through that lens. Yeah. So, yeah. I have many other things I can say. <laughs> no. We could critique it from standpoint theory, yeah, which yeah. is, it. of course, a critical theory. Yeah, so according to standpoint theory, the problem is that individuals who are in places of privilege are unable to speak out or understand the world in any type of objective manner. I don't know if Robert Rich is uh, heterosexual or if he is um, handicapped, but I'm assuming that any of those levels of intersection that he might have are obviously overdone by the fact that he is a white male in America. Oh, he's he a very, has- he's a, he's a very uh, wealthy white guy. Okay, so problem from standpoint theory, he's going to always be speaking about discrimination and understanding the world from his point of privilege. One of the founding positions of standpoint theory is the reality that, or excuse me, the position, because I don't believe it's a reality, that individuals in privilege are unable to see the world as it truly is. Therefore, any statement that they make on privilege, even to critique privilege itself, is only done from the perspective of them trying to continue to maintain power. So actually what this has done is he is trying to uh, placate to those who are just to discriminate so that he can keep his position of power within the system that might actually topple the current system of privilege. And so he's unable to actually even speak about it from his own faulty worldview. Sounds uh, very evolutionary. (laughs) <laughs> well, well it so is presupposes yeah. you know again it's a worldview it's you know, yeah. based on monism philosophical monism um you know naturalism those things can't even explain why we're even having like why does it why does it matter if uh if, if a certain collection of molecules display one color versus another color and what they do to each other Yes. You know again we are just uh, molecules in motion they're just banging clanging around together um, some use whips, some use guns, um, but and there's no, there's just, no meaning to it. And just to critique this a little bit more, oh, uh, go for it. in the state of Wyoming, the highest average earning minority group, the highest earning group demographic and race wise is blacks is African-Americans oh, yeah. 
coming in at $56,942 as a median uh, average salary compared to whites uh, at $50,057. When you compare that to California, whites are number two at $65,000 median income, Asians $73,000. So uh, just to put that up very clearly, within the state of California itself, the system is such that if you are a minority who is black, you are going to earn less money and therefore it's a racist system. And that state itself is racist. That's probably why there are, uh, of course, that system, uh, when you have a lower, when you earn a lower amount, your chances of voting are less. Therefore, the system in itself in California is problematic to begin with. There's no equality given to African-Americans itself in the state of California. Yeah, so basically, so you can use California as a comparison because the state itself yeah. is racist. Yeah, but you know, so basically you're saying, hey, if you're black and you live in California and you want to make $6,000 more than a white guy a year and have that much more voting power, go ahead and move to Wyoming and find out that they don't have any laws against you moving there. That's right. It's not a racist state and stuff like that. That's right. You're better off, actually, if you do live in California, if you want to make more money. Yeah. Hmm. And your money goes farther because the cost of living in Wyoming is substantially less than it is in California. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things that don't get talked about. Again, it's a worldview. There's an agenda. um, There's blinders. And again, he's only just protecting himself somehow to have some sort of cred whenever things uh, do get destroyed and whatever wants to come out of the rubble, hopefully somebody remembers them and gives them a pat on the back saying, well, you tried, but you're white, but you know, you can, maybe we'll, we'll uh, use you as a, a house slave then, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's just the way it works. I guess uh, hunger games didn't get to anybody <laughs> yeah, and, and how that works. But anyway, yeah. So that was our meme theology time. I think, uh, you know, I think we uh, hit that one. <laughs> Right on yeah, the head. Good so, job, yeah, <laughs> we'll go back to the studio and get into the meat and potatoes of this evening. Um, so uh, we've been talking about, you know, SBU, um, talking about documents, talking about people signing documents, uh, talking about how those documents have meaning. Um, and there was another big thing that happened. And hey, we uh, we beat James White to the party. Um, Tom Askell's not going to deal with it on the, the sword and the trowel. So, right. hey, tag your it gets to talk about this and uh, be uh, one of the few. Um, to uh, hit this up so early, but we wanted to talk about uh, what happened with the Southern Baptist uh, Seminary presidents. They got together and they had a talk about critical race theory. Um, and so, Dave, take it away, bud. Yeah, so every year, of course, the Council of Seminary Presidents meet, and that is the six presidents of the Southern Baptist Seminaries that are funded by the cooperative program. They meet, get together, and they'll come out with statements. They'll come out with positions when it becomes important. And as many people know, since 2019, with the passage of Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention, issues concerning critical race theory and intersectionality have been at the forefront of a lot of discussions in Southern Baptist circles, particularly the idea that there have been seminary professors affirming critical race theory theory and teaching critical race theory as a complementary system to the Christian worldview. And, <coughs> excuse me, because of that, there have been numerous articles offered. There have been numerous things said by other uh, theologians and also um, pastors and even state conventions. Numerous state conventions have actually denounced Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention, hmm. which embraces critical race theory as a uh, 
analytical tool. In fact, the second whereas in the 2019 annual meeting, June 1st, 2019, um, the second whereas in resolution nine says critical race theory is a set of analytical tools that explain how race has and continues to function in society. And intersectionality is a study how different personal characteristics overlap to inform one's experience. So this is a statement that was embraced by the Southern Baptist Convention at the annual meeting in 2019. It is problematic. And therefore, at the 20th anniversary of the adoption of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, the Council of Seminary Presidents, as reported by the Baptist Press on November 30th, in an article by George Schroeder, states this and actually gives us the full statement by the seminary presidents concerning critical race theory. And it is informative, and we're going to kind of read it and unpack a little bit of each section. Here is the statement that was signed by Danny Aiken, Jason Allen, Jamie Drew, Adam Greenway, Jeff Org, and Albert Moeller. And it reads, and it's a fairly concise statement. It reads this, on the 20th anniversary year of the Baptist Faith and Message, revised and adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention in 2000, the Council of Seminary Presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, meeting in its annual session, hereby reaffirm with eagerness the Baptist Faith and Message as the doctrinal statement that unites and defines Southern Baptist cooperation and establishes the confessional unity of our convention. Just want to stop right there. The presidents of the Southern Baptist seminaries are stating unequivocally that what unites us is the statement of faith that is a Southern Baptist statement of faith. Therefore, it's something that should be seen as the uh, guideline or as the guardrails for what is considered Orthodox Christian or Orthodox Baptist understanding of Scripture itself. Again, it's not a creedal statement, it's a confessional statement. This is what we confess. These are the things that hold us together. So just to jump off on the SBU thing, it's really important that those institutions that align themselves with state conventions likewise affirm the Baptist faith and message because it is a unifying statement that holds us together. Therefore, for someone to ask a professor to sign a statement like this is simply to say, do you actually believe what we believe and do you commit to holding to that doctrine? That's not unheard of. In fact, it's very well practiced and it's what holds our undergraduate and graduate programs taught at our seminaries together. So any state convention affiliated institution should likewise be sure that they're running within the guardrails that are actually pretty broad. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, just so, so to interject here, it was about a couple of weeks ago. I'm just thinking about all this stuff. Um, you know, just critical, cruel race theory, entering uh, the Baptist life and, and like where, where could it enter? Uh, why are people accepting this? And uh, just thinking about um, creedal statements or, you know, confessions, Stuff like this, so it kind of kind of brought me back, and because the, there is uh, contention I do have um, with yeah. the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and it comes from the 1963 uh, Baptist Faith and Message, um, and I guess also you said 1998. There was a there's actually yeah. four there Baptist are. Faith <laughs> and Messages. It's only three get talked about anyway, but um, there there is something um, that I think 
uh, it's not necessarily uh, critical race theory isn't against what Baptists believe. But from a view, if we're going to talk about the Baptist faith and message, we're going to talk about a document that people can read. So if I say, hey, I'm a Southern Baptist, here's a document. This is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about man. This is what I believe about the Holy Scriptures. Um, last things, whatever, the family, uh, all those little sub subheads. Okay, so we're going to get this. I get into there, and I know that there was a language change. So we got the 1925, we got the 1963, we got the 2000. They don't all read the same. There have been additions and deletions. You know, a lot of additions were, um, you know, either you know, gender related because of that was an issue of the time. Um, inerrancy related, um, you know, the, the Baptist faith, the message 2000 drips inerrancy finally, because that's what happened between 1963 and 2000. We, we st- steered the ship back to, because what was going on in the sixties, definitely. Um, well, it started in the 1800s, um, with, uh, critical, you know, the historical critical, just to let you know the German historical critical hermeneutic, so just to put that in there with critical theory and critical race theory um, and Germany and scholarship, right? You know, there, there's this history, there's a lot more to it. But anyway, what, you know, what was happening in, in the sixties, you know, we were still kind of squandering and floundering um, on our definition of what scripture actually is. Is it inerrant? How is it inerrant? What is the definition of inerrant and stuff? And so you get into the 2000, it's dripping now with the, what happened from uh, the Chicago statement um, of biblical inerrancy, what happened around that time. Um, but unfortunately, I think there is an issue um, that if we're going to say that it is not compatible with a critical race theory, for what, what Baptists believe, I think we need to relook at the document and add something back. So 1925, um, I think there's definitely an issue um, that happened between 1925 and uh, 63. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I'm trying to think which one I want to read first. If I want to kind of read, read the 1925 first, I think that so, that's better. You can lay the foundation. Okay. So yeah. In uh, part three, uh, the fall of man, um, if you go down, um, and you're reading, if you go online and find it, it's, I think it's in the second paragraph. I'm talking about man. It says he was created in a state of holiness under the law of his maker, but through the temptation of Satan, he transgressed the command of God and fell from his original holiness and righteousness, righteousness, whereby his posterity inherit a nature corrupt and in bondage to sin are under condemnation. And as soon as they are capable of moral action, become actual transgressors. Amen. And explain that real quick, Adam. Amen. So this is, even though it doesn't use the term covenant, this is covenantal language. So, yep. whenever we, so when we're thinking about Baptist and history, we're talking about covenant theology and being a Baptist distinctive, you know, we have a we have a distinctive Baptist covenant theology and so this is dripping with it that man fell from his original holiness and righteousness whereby his posterity. So it's not just an Adam thing, it's his progeny. They inherit a nature that is corrupt and in bondage to sin. So we are sinners. We are, we are objectively sinners. We inherit a nature corrupt and in bondage to sin and are, and are under condemnation, covenantally condemnation. And then, even though we haven't done anything, just like before Jacob and Esau, before they did anything good or bad, right? Um, God chose 
the old or the younger to serve the older, right? He loved Jacob, but hated Esau, right? So this is totally in line with scripture. It's as soon as they are capable of moral action, then they become transgressors. So we are well, sinners. Well, actual transgressors. Yeah, so, so there is a distinction. Yeah, yeah go yeah, for it. Yeah, I don't but I'm just saying there's the, yeah, they're, they're, whenever, it's kind of like the word hell in the KJV. So whenever we say sin, that could be a few different words. So you have to really get into hermeneology to really understand sin. So the, the term sin can mean a bunch of different things. So there's iniquity, there's transgression. So whenever you are capable of moral action, you will transgress. You are a sinner by nature. So you sin because you are a sinner. You don't sin and then become one. That's right. Okay. So that's what the 1925 says. A the, the man. I wish I could go back to this one. Clear, <laughs> it's very clear. In that. the reality that Adam is the federal head. Yeah. And in Adam, we all sent. Yeah. We inherit the sin nature. We're guilty of sin. We're born dead in sin as a result of the actions of the federal head. That's why the federal headship of Christ is so important. Yeah. A term that I did not learn until after I was it. Well, I was in seminary. Right. This idea of our sin nature being an inherited sin nature, meaning that we are dead in our transgressions and unrighteousness, even when we are born and then we become active in that once we are capable of moral action. And so it's very clear. It's actually setting those two ideas beside one another, demonstrating first that we are in, uh, as David, David says in the Psalms, we are conceived in sin. Yeah. And therefore, we then also become active in that sin, and that's when we become actual transgressors. That distinction is made there very clearly. Both elements are clearly stated in a way that is accessible and understandable. Sometimes if you haven't been as familiar with the doctrine of total depravity, you might miss that idea. But that's what's being communicated there very clearly. And yeah. that's based on the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And then and subsequently the through, yeah, so you, you've got the Charleston, you've got the New Hampshire, yeah. you've got a lot of stuff. Again, Tom Askell's book on the traditionalist um, view and stuff like that. Very good book. Um, I've got it back here. I just don't, yeah. It's, it's funny. I have it over here by yeah, me too. It's but, right here. You know, so yeah. traditional theology in the SBC, um, he gets in that. It's actually got the Charleston confession in the back. You can read that. That's actually, if you want to get down to it, um, Benjamin Keach's son was a framer of the Charleston confession. So it came from England over to here, which is a wonderful thing. Cause Benjamin Keach is part of the, that's the catechism. That's the Baptist catechism or one of the catechisms, uh, William, uh, or, or Hercules Collins has got the other one. Um, that's based on the, I think the Heidelberg. Um, but anyway, that's, that's all history anyway. Um, but so now we get to 63, um, and things have changed here. He says, man was created by the special act of God in his own image and is, is the crowning work of his creation. In the beginning, uh, man was innocent of sin and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. So this is a, actually a change from the 25 to talk about the freedom of choice stuff. Um, by his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Um, through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God and fell from his original innocence. Okay, that's the same. Uh, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. Now listen to that. 1925 said, we are corrupt. We're in bondage to sin. And listen to the relaxing of language here. It says that we inherit a nature and an environment 
inclined towards sin, and as soon as they are capable of moral moral action, become transgressors and are under condemnation. So we're not under condemnation from the very beginning. According to it's after the, we so idea. we're not sinners until we sin, and then we're condemned. So that puts things backwards, and if you read that, you can blame the environment for your sin. That's and what does critical race theory do? Well, and that becomes the concept where there is a touchstone that is problematic. Because if I'm trying to argue that it's okay for us to embrace critical race theory, that becomes the point of contact if you're doing that. Because what you're saying there in that statement concerning the idea that we are, of course, in an environment inclined, that means that there's a systemic reason for any sin that you occur yeah. incur therefore the minority who is in jail because of drug trafficking and sex trafficking they're not actually the one who is guilty it's their environment that created that situation whereby they had to participate in that sin yeah and that becomes very problematic yeah and so it's one of those things like you know the, a couple of weeks before this uh, this uh, broke news, you know, I, this is where I was going in my head. And so mm-hmm. I'm sort of confused now. They are correct in denouncing critical race theory, but I think we have um, some work to do now because we need to explain it and we need to go back to the 1925 going, hey, this is an historical Baptist position that we are corrupt, that we are con- condemned before we, trans- we actually do the action. We are, and we have a nature not just inclined. We're not just inclined to inevitably <laughs> fall. No, no, we are sinners. Therefore, we sin. Understand now, that's not going to make a lot of people I happy. Wanted but... to, if I wanted to argue, and I think that rightly so, you cannot embrace critical race theory and the Baptist faith and message. What you would state is, the environment is not the same as systemic racism. And I do think that the presidents deal with that. But the problem is, and what our argument is, not that the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is somehow messed up. What we're saying is it could be more clear. And when it's not clear, it opens the door for someone to say, see, there's critical race theory right there. Yeah. And, and, oh, it totally makes sense. So, and just, I read the 63, but if you do look, into the Baptist faith, the message 2000, the, the verbiage, the words are the exact same here. So basically what I'm calling for is if, if we're going to do this, we need to do this right. And we need to, I'm not, I'm not saying destroy anything. I'm saying we need to go back to 1925, grab some language and pop it back in um, to make it more clear because right now there is room and this is where it's seeping in. And so if we're going to use these documents as to appeal to them, the Baptist faith and message says this, therefore this isn't compatible. Well, I just actually found room unless if, you know, like the very, very little point that you um, made a critique about, unless if you have just a, some sort of compelling case <laughs> for that, but yeah. there is a lot of room. Um, and this is where it's creeping in because again, we crit- critical race theory l- allows you to blame the environment and it's your environment that gets you off your moral responsibility of your actions for what you do, like stealing or whatever, because you're, you know, a poor black lesbian woman, right? 
you you are not held morally responsible for your theft, for your rioting, for your burning it's down buildings and stuff. It's the environment that caused you to do that. It wasn't your That's right. But then again, the, where's free will on your side that you're probably going to want as well. <laughs> you know, so I mean there's there it's 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 a disaster, but um we can help this disaster by, you know, hey, we're we're halfway through a generation and we need to start thinking about a new document. And this is a great step in my mind yeah. towards doing that, by the way. So picking the article back up. Yes. The six seminary state uh presidents state our six seminaries are confessional institutions standing together in the classic statement of biblical truth. All professors must agree to teach in accordance with and not contrary to the Baptist faith and message. This is our sacred commitment and privilege to every individual faculty member and trustee of our institution shares in this commitment. Amen. Mm -hmm. I think that that's very important. And particularly when we talk about our environment here, uh, I know, I hope I'm not wearing anyone out with SBU. There's a commitment, there's a stewardship that has been entrusted to these professors, these individuals who are preparing men and women to go out on the mission field and to either vocationally serve in ministry or to serve in the lay leadership role. Those professors who are teaching them have made a statement, a confession of faith that is across the board something that can be trusted. In fact, they say our sacred, and I love it, our sacred commitment. Mm -hmm. There is a very serious understanding among the presidents, and I can say as a member of the faculty at Midwestern, there is a sacred stewardship that we understand very clearly. We know that Southern Baptists have entrusted us with their young ministry students and even their old ministry mm -hmm. students that they're sending. When they write a check to the cooperative program, they don't have to wonder what we are teaching. And I love this because they're stating, first of all, if you look at the Baptist faith, the message, it first submits to scripture. And what we're saying very clearly is, our understanding of scripture, put in a condensed version, is this. That's what you do with systematic theology, yeah. essentially, is you make sure that you systematically put things in a uh, condensed, concise, and synthesized statement that works together. Yeah. And we've done that in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. You've entrusted us to do that. We're not looking at this lightly. Therefore, because of our commitment to scripture, we have a statement of faith that we know that does not accord with critical race theory. Therefore, it needs to be rejected, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally does. Uh, let me continue on. We are thankful for the theological commitments of the Southern Baptist Convention, standing against the tide of theological compromise and in the face of an increasingly hostile secular culture. Here's the issue with critical race theory. It will tell you that the church itself, that the Southern Baptist Convention itself is inherently systemically racist if you don't do what we tell you to do. And there's no way actually to correct that. According to critical race theory, according to critical theory, there's no way to actually correct that systemic problem unless we untopple it. See, the yeah. problem is, and we'll see this, all of our seminary presidents are completely committed to racial reconciliation but not as defined by critical race theory, yeah. because when you submit to critical race theory, the worldview that it is, your goal is to untopple power structures, not to reconcile 
those who have been pushed out by power structures. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, yeah. I mean, we have to, we have the gospel, which is again, just the gospel is the Lord's table in this, in this, uh, in this environment. In this, yes. So whenever you view the Lord's table, you know, there is no distinction. That's right. So you're neither slave nor free Jew, Gentile, man, woman, or anything. You come to the table and you are the image bearer you are who has been redeemed by Christ. Therefore, if you've been forgiven, this is the power that Christ gives you as someone who has been redeemed. You have the power of forgiveness. And so whenever we're talking about racism, we're talking about racists. Somebody comes to church and says, I have hated people for their skin color. I've hated people for uh, their class, like, you know, how much money they make, either they're rich or poor, how, whatever it is, I am wrong. And we go, do you want to follow Christ? Have you heard the gospel? Is that why you're here? Because there is forgiveness in Christ. And guess what? A slave can hug a slave master at the table of Jesus Christ. And they yes. forgive one another. And that once that's, you know, whenever you understand what Christ did, that he paid in full everything, he saves to the uttermost. He has taken all that racism from both sides of, a, of something. He's taken all the hatred. He's taken all that. He took that on himself. That's the gospel. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. And that's how we address each other now. That's not critical race theory. That is correct. And that's why it's and incompatible. There you go. It's incompatible because you can never see past race, racial lines. You're identified by your race and your discrimination is at its, uh, uh, your identity is in that race first and foremost, not in the newness of life that you've been raised through. And yeah. that's the problem is that are you going to embrace the new reality that you are in Christ? Or are you going to try to live as if you are primarily identified by your race? Uh, the reality is the gospel doesn't allow for racial dialectical tension. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, just to be really, really clear, uh, dialectics itself is the struggle between two competing positions. Yeah. Right. And so what we're saying as Southern Baptist, as, what our presidents are saying, and essentially I guarantee that there is going to be a resolution that is going to negate resolution nine and denounce critical race theory because there is not a dialectical tension that can exist within the believer that says yeah. I'm identified by race and my, by my Christendom. Now, will you always have segments within large groups as always, but those should always take a massive backseat to your primary newness of life. What's happened with critical race theory is when you say that we embrace it, you're embracing it wholesale. It doesn't allow you to not do that because it's a worldview. Therefore, your Christendom and your newness of life is going to be in dialectical tension with your Christianity. Where are your primary, uh, where is your primary commitment? Mm -hmm. 
Critical race theory doesn't allow you to have a commitment beyond calling out racial identities as the means by which all oppression occurs, which we know isn't true anyways, by the way. People are oppressed by various things that don't have to do with race. And of course, that's when they bring in intersectionality, all these different intersections of what you're calling uh, discrimination or all these different intersections that prevent you from privilege. Are you ready? The greatest privilege is gospel privilege, right? The greatest unprivilege is a lack of gospel. And therefore, you cannot fully be human in the sense that God created us without being able to walk in the newness of life. And I'm not saying that in the way that someone could twist that, by the way. Someone could take that statement and twist it and use it out of context. What I'm saying is we were created to glorify God by walking in step with him. Yeah, and so we're finding out. Yeah, we're finding out now. This is exactly so a few years ago when people are getting yelled at for saying you can't call yourself a gay Christian. Well, you can't call yourself a white Christian. You can't call yourself a black Christian. You can't call yourself a gay Christian. You can't. No, you can call yourself an image bearer who has sinned this certain way, rebelled this certain way against God, however that way is. But you can't identify yourself by your sin or like your marks that he's given you. Your identity is an image bearer. Yes, he's, you know, God has established uh, boundaries. He's the one that took everybody at the Tower of Babel that didn't didn't to go like he told them to, to subdue the earth, right? They stayed in one place and they were getting ready to uh, build a big thing for themselves and say, look at us, we are so awesome. That was Adam and Eve worked out with a ton of people saying, and they were exalting themselves. And then God is the one that said, basically, well, you still haven't done what I've covenantly given you charge to do, which is to fill the earth, right? You're staying in one place. Now you're trying to honor yourself as God collectively man enlarged here. And, uh, and then he ends up scattering them all over, which causes the mess that we're in that we're talking about right now. So the tower of Babel is a big time issue that we should be preaching on (laughs) right now in these days and times. Um, but then everything becomes restored from that, um, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we, Recognize that there is diversity. Again, God is three, but he's also one, and we're only one in Jesus Christ, and that is our ultimate play, our ultimate thing. And holy moly, we have went 58 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Uh, let's but, finish up this little yeah. piece, and then just look at what the president, J.D. Greer, says. And we're not going to get to flesh out all the implications yeah. in a way that I, I know we want yeah. to, but we can make them concise. So here's what they say. In light of the current conversations in the Southern Baptist Convention, we stand together on, his, on historic Southern Baptist condemnations of racism in any form, and we declare the affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version, and I love how they say any version yeah. of critical theory, is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message 2000. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. That is incredibly important. So what that actually does is it says that Resolution 9 now needs to be rejected. Not because we don't like Resolution 9, not because we're racist, but because we recognize that you cannot hold a position that at all would state any type of dialectic tension exists between Christianity and critical 
race theories uh, in, in action, right? Yeah. You can't hold the two positions as being a one and the same. Now, they're going to say in Resolution 9, if you read it, that yes, this is uh, critical theory as an analytical tool, critical race theory as an analytical tool, intersectionality as an analytical tool, it's subordinate to scripture. The problem is critical race theory doesn't recognize itself as being subordinate to that. It's yeah. actually saying that primarily looking at any type of discrimination or oppression, that is the key mechanism to having freedom. And the Christian yeah. position is, no, no, true freedom is freedom in Christ and freedom from sin. Yeah. I'm grateful that they said this. The implications are pretty clear. A professor is not going to be able to teach at a Southern Baptist seminary and embrace critical race theory as some type of dialectical worldview that works with uh, the Baptist faith and message she does, and you can't consistently do it. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, yeah. It totally makes sense. And that yeah. would actually just go back to, to, to what you were stating on the doctrine of man. The yeah. reality is that the Baptist faith and message of 2000, even with some of the ambiguities that we pointed out, does not allow itself to function in any type of dialectical tension with the premier foundational assertions of critical race theory, critical theory, or intersectionality. Yeah. Let me just read briefly what the Southern Baptist Convention's president, uh, J.D. Greer, said, and I thought it was good. I appreciate it very much. He says, as this statement demonstrates, our convention leaders affirm without reservation not only our historic Baptist theological confessions, but also a biblical view of justice. See, there's where the two mm -hmm. worldviews are in complete disagreement. Biblical justice and critical race theory, intersectionality justice, do not coexist. Yeah. They cannot coexist. And I'm glad that Dr. Greer recognizes that. Next, it says, which also affirm, which I also affirm and, and applaud, while we lament the painful legacy that racism and discrimination have left in our country and remain committed to fighting it in every form, we also declare that ideological frameworks like critical race theory are incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. The gospel gives a better answer. Yeah, which is a wonderful, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And I understand that's a universal and you're going to hear that and you'd be like, well, you want the particulars? Well, we got to say the gospel is the answer first, because again, that's, that's where we do it. Now we can do this and talk about the particular of the gospel, but yeah, he, he, it's, that's definitely it. Now we're not just saying preach the gospel and like get, get over it. No, no, no. There is justice. He didn't say we're against any, we're, we're against what has become the defined social justice, but there is biblical justice. And, you know, we, we've talked about that. We're going to talk about that at the God and government conference, um, stuff like that. Um, you know, there is biblical justice. There is a way the government is supposed to act. There is a way a family is supposed to act. There is a way a church is supposed to act. Um, and it's all been revealed, you know, so we have to accept this as revealed theology, received theology, not something we've come up on our own. And that's really the difference. Are you going to trust man's word or God's word on this issue? So we're not anti-justice. We're not anti-societal things you know, and so we're not just trying to be pacifists and escapists here. Um, I think this is a wonderful way that God is getting some of the Christians out of the freaking pews, <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. this is scary. 
if if they do sit back, this is scary. And so I hope that, you know, here's here's how um, you know, you can mean evil against us, but God means it for good. He's going to judge his house first and get the pew sitters out, and either they will join God in his mission to save his people, or they will become the people that are on the other side of the justice issue. You know, and that's not going to be good for them if they're on the other side of of God and and His movement throughout history and His mission to redeem people. Uh, so, yeah, there is biblical justice. So, again, we're not against justice. We're not um, saying that racism doesn't exist. Uh, you know, again, I would say that it's not the institution's fault. I would say that there are racists. There are people. There's an objective issue here, and we do need to call out people who are racist. But we do not topple the institution and races the idea. according yeah. to scripture yes because it's god's word yeah so just going back to the meme yeah what is he defining as racist when racist is everything then it's nothing yeah but god's given us a clear declaration of the reality that every man every woman is made in god's image we are not to discriminate against them by that, I mean very clearly, we are not to treat them as less. We are not to favor someone because God doesn't favor someone, yeah, right? Yeah. And therefore, to try to use critical race theory, and, I, and just, I, man, I know we're running a little long and I apologize. That's, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's all about fourth, you. <laughs> the fourth whereas in Resolution 9 says this. Evangelical scholars who affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture have employed selective insights from critical race theory and intersectionality to understand multifaceted social dynamics. Here's the issue with that. When they say selective insights, how far does that go? What yeah. do you consider selective insights? Yeah, that's being arbitrary. And, and again, here's, here's the thing is, what's our AIP test? Arbitrariness. If we're going to be rational. If we're going to do things that way, we can't be arbitrary. And yeah. so if you're being favored, if you're being selective, you are being literally arbitrary. Yes. All right. That was just, so, that, yeah. that's why it's very concerning. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And so, and the thing is, is, you know, understand this. We're not also saying that we don't teach about it and become familiar with it. We do. Um, we have to be people that study the times and know what's going on because People are going to get hurt by this. Yes. People are going to might are going to die by the hand of this thought. And the Christians need to be there to know what's going on, to know what that person's going through, to get them out. How does the gospel speak into people getting hurt by this and suffering at the hand of other people, which really it's going to turn into status tyranny because they need an authority to be able to do this. They can't do it as dialectical tendent, you know, like all these particulars that oppose each other, they have to have something to unite them and it's going to be destruction. Again, we have to know. So it's not that we're teaching not to teach. We're not to teach the Bible through the lens of CRT. This is where people think and come up with the whole idea that Dave, David uh, raped Bathsheba. It doesn't say that in the Bible. God says, don't add or take away from his word. Stop adding to it. We got a lens that now adds words to scripture, <laughs> you know, but that, that's what's happening. It starts at something maybe you might think is trivial now, but it's going to end up being big time. And it's going to 
call God an oppressor. Because ultimately, he will be the ultimate form of oppression. Well, that, that's what they already think anyway. We know that in Scripture, by its own hermeneutic, by its own lens, using that, like, people already think that God is this big oppressor, and we're trying to come up with our own ways to, again, why do the nations rage? Why do they, you know, why are they, they're saying, like, let's shake the chains off. And CRT is just another way of trying to shake the chains off because they don't right. like God. So anyway, yeah, that's what people set up and that's uh, what's going on. But yeah, I think uh, I'm glad that uh, the SBC's done this, especially um, we've been talking about Resolution 9 for a long time. Um, you know, it's not just us. It's a, it's a convention-wide issue, um, you know, and especially the apologists I know are definitely like, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? Why do we vote this in? People didn't know. And I'm glad that at least the seminary, the, the, the presence of the seminaries, oh. the places where we're getting, where people are getting education, they're standing up going like, no. Let no, me close with, us. let me close with Jason Allen's last statement here on it. He yeah. says, unfortunately, the problem of racism still exists but critical race theory is not a biblical solution. We must be people who stubbornly fight against both racism mm -hmm. and critical race theory yeah. while fighting for racial reconciliation and the truth of scripture. He recognizes that race, critical race theory at the end of the day flips racism on its head yeah, and it creates a new racist structure. Yeah, And what did Karl Marx say to do, you know, accuse the enemy of everything that you're doing. That's right. <laughs> you know, so that's just, you know, the, 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 the issue. So it's basically just projecting and transference. It happens all the time. I get it all the time on my Facebook page, exactly what the other person is doing. They're calling me, um, that. So, you know, don't, don't be surprised. Don't be afraid. We have the gospel on our side. If God is forced, who can be against us? Um, the gospel is the answer. And, uh, again, this is all about relationships, making disciples who make disciples. Uh, making disciples of the nations, you know, going therefore. So, yeah, I think uh, that's a good end of the uh, the conversation for today. Um, well, I'm sure there'll be more news in the future. Um, I know Brian Kaler has written on this too, so I'm sure we'll get to that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eventually. Um, especially, you know, if we have Tim on the show, we'll we'll talk about that kind of stuff anyway. But uh, yeah. with that said, yeah, we've we've definitely taken a lot of people's time on this one. Uh, Good, an hour, I'm glad. An hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> so that's about normal right now, uh, hitting that yeah. hour and 10 mark. So it's okay. As long as your wife's all right, mine's all right. And uh, yeah, other people can pause Man, this Adam, stuff. So. I really enjoy getting to talk about this stuff with yeah. you. And I'm grateful. We will be entering year. So 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, we'll be season. technically entering year five. Yeah, well, yeah, season five. That's right. Never mind. And tw I yeah. lost 2020. Like I remember, because I mean, I, I I had a conversation with you know, because a year later um, with the Freemasonry debate, I kept on saying that uh, that lying document was like yeah. three years old or something. If <laughs> it's actually four or actually five, I just kept on because like I have lost this year. So uh, anyway, maybe that's you a and good everyone thing. else, but yeah. it's still so, sovereign yeah. over the so year. yeah. We'll be, yeah, we'll be entering season five of the Tag Your It podcast. Uh, so, yeah, it's been awesome. God's blessed it um, with what with what we do have, and we're content with what we do have. And it's a wonderful time. And at least I get to talk to Dave once a week um, on some deep awesome. subject material. So, awesome. I love that. Yeah. So, anyway, with that said, I'm Ray Ray. I'm Wait, Dave. I don't know. This is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And Soli. 
Damn. The Gloria.